So I was sitting uh, yesterday and um, sort of had this vision of myself. Um, I sort of had, you know, it was fleeting, but it was like, I had more than two hands. It was like all these hands and all the hands were adjusting or trying to adjust all the knobs of samsara. Yeah, this realm. And it just struck me that it's amazing how much is happening just as we sit still. And it's amazing how many things we might stop doing. It's amazing what it would mean to actually surrender. We get so focused about what we are to do, what, we, what technique to implement, what to start doing. We sit down and we go. But mm, our practice much more about... Uh, the many, many things we don't know we're doing but might stop. Now, this word surrender, uh, we may have different kind of associations with that word. Certainly would not have been a word close to my heart when I started practice. And we might associate maybe connotations with that word surrender of giving up one's power or submitting to someone or something that cannot be trusted. We might associate it not with... uh, Buddhist tradition, but um, with with a theistic tradition uh, is not not my own, but um, uh, quite potent. So Augustine's um, Confessions. Uh, we are but a particle of Thy creation. Thou awakest us to delight in Thee praise. For thou made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it repose in thee. Hide not thee face from me. Let me die, lest I die. Only let me see thy face. My soul is like a house, small for you to enter. But I pray you to enlarge it. It is in ruins but I ask you to remake it. It contains much that you will not be pleased to see. This I know and do not hide. But who is to rid it of these things? There is no one but you. This is a... Christian vision of uh, surrender. 
and though in some ways foreign to me, uh, quite beautiful too. And in the Buddhist path, we don't exactly surrender to the, the, the Buddha. But there are many aspects of the Dharma path that are obscured by our willfulness. There are many aspects of the Dharma path that only come into view as we surrender. And in, in Dharma, or sometimes we use the Pali word Dhamma, um, we, we actually come to our power through surrender. We, we begin by um, consenting to imperfection. The, the kind of, the imperfection of sight and sound of, uh, of all phenomena is certain like incompletion, incompletion in all phenomena. Our own imperfection, the imperfection of this, this realm. And we actually have to, to consent to that and we have to let it run through our heart mind a thousand times. We have to let, we have to feel imperfection just running through our tissues a thousand times. And then we find uh, our power. So I, I was learning a little bit about um, about dialysis, like uh, you know, our k- kidneys f- filtering certain waste products and things out of out of our body, and when the kidneys don't function. Um, well enough, they they cease to filter out some of those those toxins, right? And so the the dialysis machine uh, you're just running the blood through, and then the the toxins and potassium is removed, and um, the blood is uh, refreshed. Or, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's just a metaphor, but I I think it's. <laughs> Potassium, and um, <laughs> right, and so, but it it struck me that that Dharma and retreat it's almost the reverse. It's like we're I, I, it's not quite right to say we are introducing the toxins of greed, hate, and delusion to our heart, but we are stimulating the seeds of our own craving, aversion, unconsciousness. That part of the technology of retreat is we are actively 
stimulating these um, forces in the mind. Otherwise, we would we would get up later, you know. <laughs> really. So when um, when we have gone through a thousand cycles, you know, of of all the varieties of the the ways these forces and I talks and yeah, I don't want to get moralistic about it. It's just conditioning. It's very innocent. It's very innocent, but we actually uh, cannot arrive at our power until we surrender to the kind of circulation of these forces through body-mind. Power and, uh, and effort are their major themes in the suttas. Um, uh, effort is a major theme because in, in a certain sense, Neurosis is the path of least resistance, right? Like my bad habits require zero energy from me. Zero. And... We are a bundle of habits, right? And so uh, William James says, we're, we're imitators and copiers of our past selves. And so to transform, to become discerning, transform habit energies requires, requires um, effort and uh, Deep growth is not um, is is not always comfortable. It's it's not always comfortable. But what I want to emphasize is often the energy, the effort that is required is the energy and effort of surrender, not the kind of willfulness of the ego where it's me versus samsara, me versus whatever. Willingness, in other words, willingness is not the same as willfulness. And our effort, our effort on this path, I would say, is much more characterized by willingness than willfulness. When, when we're just about kind of exerting, exerting our effort in a kind of egocentric way, me versus whatever, um, one of the effects is that we we fail to come to grips with helplessness. We fail to actually develop a relationship with helplessness. And so 
the Buddha suggested that we, we actually recalibrate how we exert power. We typically exert power to rearrange the conditions of our life, quite understandably, to remold this realm, this realm, samsara. And we track down pleasure, capture it, we chase away pain, we try to hold things still. And it's so natural that we do this, and it kind of works. Like our clinging kind of works. That's the effed up part about it, you know. Like, of course, it gets, it kind of works, so it gets reinforced, you know. And so we can scratch the itch, we can change the posture, we can, we can tweak the conditions and find something. But in finding something, it creates the illusion that our mere influence is control. We might influence a lot, but own, control nothing. And so these cycles of craving and acting out and temporary relief, they get reinforced in us. And because we are compulsively optimizing, tweaking, always looking for the next move to make, the ego's got another move to make another hand on another knob. We, we fail to actually open our heart to helplessness. And that's another way of saying non-control. And sometimes it strikes me that that dukkha, this word, we've been using that, that cannot be translated in a simple way, but sometimes suffering, stress, unsatisfactoriness, anguish, strikes me that one of the synonyms, I, I said maybe, maybe a synonym for dukkha is ambivalence. Well, maybe another one is helplessness. Helplessness certain way in which we are undefended against the tides of pleasure and pain. And so there's parts of us that just want to always be exerting our power, always making our move, doing, adjusting the knob. And um, the Buddha, in, in, when the Buddha says the world trembles in all directions, I, I love that rendering. When, a, when an early, early sutta, the world trembles in all directions, like this thing will not be owned, will not be governed. And part of the movement of our heart is just to open, open. And it sounds, I'm 
feel self-conscious even saying the word, but you'll see the context more fully as I continue. But that word, helplessness, helplessness, we um, are doing obscures this basic and kind of most harrowing predicament for an animal. A student pointed to some research about crying and um, and uh, the, the, the research suggests that, that uh, people cry for many reasons, many kinds of tears, but one of the main reasons that we cry is a sense of helplessness. And it strikes me, it's like, oh yeah, the tears are almost like a plea to others, like, Help me. And no doubt we've felt in moments here helpless, helpless against the torrent of our own mind, against the, you know, the, the kind of various poles of our attention, the ache in our heart or our knee or the world. And... It's so natural that we go to look for the knob. But um, the encouragement here is to make a little bit more room for this experience of helplessness, a little bit more room for surrender, surrender when the ego is all out of moves, you know? We hit those walls in practice. It's, it's, it's um, designed in part for that. We hit a wall where it's like the ego is all out of moves. And we tend to, that, you know, frightens us. And it's like, cannot open to this. I cannot surrender in this moment. I must, you know, find something to tweak. Even maybe that something is, well, maybe I'll just blame myself more deeply for this predicament or for this moment or for the activity of my discursive mind or this ache, my heart. And that's just the ego kind of making its last move of self-blame. And then we come to a certain place of like, okay, done, done making moves here. But while much of the goodness on the path requires surrender, we we first need something else. You can't just surrender. There's a, a big, you know, I know I'm not asking something casual. Well, you need something else before we do that. I would say it's something like uh, faith. Faith is, in other words, is what makes surrender feel safe. 
And so we hold on to something we trust, even though maybe it feels like a very thin strand. Zajan Sajito. Awakening is based on the process of letting go. Letting go is about carefully revealing assumptions, biases, and life's messages. There's something wrong with me, I'm unworthy, and releasing them. You can liken the process to a gradual descent out of the tumult and gridlock of your personal world into the free space of the unconditioned. It's rather like lowering oneself down a rope. You have to know how to do that. It's a matter of holding on to something you trust, even though it seems like a thin strand. Then letting go a little bit and trusting the downward pull. This is the trajectory of non-engagement and abandonment. But you have to go at a speed or in a manner in which you can stay conscious, connected, so you can integrate the experience. Otherwise, just crash. This process involves a relationship between the active, intentional aspects of our minds and the receptive feeling aspect. The first is associated with what we do. The second is associated with what we feel we're in. Waking up is about letting go into thinking, breathing, feeling, touching, seeing, tasting, so that these activities can follow non, uh, non-attachment and clarity. This is the relationship. Meditation orchestrates the relationship. What we feel we're in, what we do and what we feel we're in. So we're lowering, there's a descent, we're lowering down, kind of holding on to some thread. And um, we're lowering ourselves down into something, into Dhamma. And this kind of letting go abandonment is, is foreign to some part of our system. And it's foreign to kind of relinquish some of our knowing. But insight depends on tolerance of not knowing. We don't lower ourselves down. We don't lower ourselves down unless we have faith that um, that goodness will catch you. And it will. Mm. 
and love, love will catch you. You got to know that for yourself. But once you do, sort of don't doubt it again. And so, Lungpur uh, Sujito says, go at a speed or a manner in which you can stay connected so you can integrate the experience. Maybe we could say, go at the speed of your faith. Go at the speed of your faith. This descent into the territory of our heart-mind, undefended, uh, porous to phenomena. Go at the speed of your faith. Faith, faith is um, is a form of falling, falling in love. Really, it's like the heart returning to its native ground. And um, yeah, Emerson said uh, the definition of of spiritual should be that which is its own evidence. And so this is not a kind of dogmatism. This is not filling the unknown with our own ironclad certainties. This is a form of, of, uh, of falling in love, falling into trust, into confidence. And we relax, we relax with faith. You know, until there's a certain measure of faith, we're always looking around and checking to see about our progress, checking to see how we're doing. We're pinging to some metric of like, how, how is it going? How am I doing? And when, when, our, when we start to fall in love with Dharma, when the faith starts to actually... Um, um, develop, be be nurtured. Um, we're 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 so much less concerned with the signpost of progress because we know there's no other choice anyway. There's no going back, and what else are we to do? So, I'm going this fast or that fast. Okay, keep going. So this kind of receptive uh, dimension of the path, this, this, this kind of, this dimension of surrender, surrender is woven through so many of the core teachings. Like willingness rather than willfulness. Like, what does practice look like on the other side of your willfulness? This requires some measure of surrender. Mindfulness, mindfulness, sati, 
is a form of surrender. It's, it's like surrendering, like it's like not standing guard at the sense gates anymore. Sorting out the visitors and intruders and this feeling, this thought, this sensation. Like I will not patrol the gates of my sense doors. And so here we are in this retreat and the moment just keeps getting served up to us. You know? And... um Can we open to it? Can we surrender in this moment to what is being offered to us? We, in a sense, are not here to change phenomena, but to be changed by them. To be changed by them. To have a certain kind of faith that in this gesture of the heart surrendering, um, we will not be harmed by phenomena. That, that this will be a cause for our uh, love and wisdom to grow. And that is a, a kind of, um, you know, kind of almost a miracle, almost a miracle that um, that that pleasure, pain, neutrality, all of it can be run through the our tissues and become understanding and love. Samadhi, unification of mind, might seem like it's about doing focusing, tending, holding on to the object. But it's so much about letting go and trusting the momentum of our practice, the momentum of our sincerity, the logic of the Dharma, of surrendering to the kind of, to silence which is only ever chased away by our willfulness and interventionist strategies. We let go. And wisdom, wisdom, mindfulness, samadhi, wisdom, wisdom is about, maybe more about surrender than we appreciate there can be a sense with wisdom like we're on like kind of treasure hunt for new ideas. But it's a much more organic process of something um, bubbling up when we have surrendered the rigidity of our view. Who I am, what I want, what this thing is, what this path is, what Dhamma is, what freedom is. All of that 
can be surrendered. And so to, uh, to learn, to learn, we really, we come in so rigid and, um, but to learn, we have to um, be receptive, like deeply receptive. And this deep kind of surrender. And so when Ajahn Chah says, everything is teaching us, everything is teaching us, um, one way of, of um, understanding that is that we're, we're being invited to um, essentially to up, update our models. But they're, they're so kind of like over-informed by our past that there's no space to perceive in a new way. And so we're actually asked to empty out, empty out, to surrender our views. We bring um, so much, so much to each moment, so much to each moment. And it feels like we, if we see, if we have vision, we look out of our eyes and we see the world. But in a, in, in a, a real sense, what we see is not the world, but ourselves. And when we look, we're, um, we're not so much looking at the world, but our mind. There's a philosopher, kind of cognitive science uh, stuff, says, for, for much of human history, scientists and philosophers saw perception as a process that worked mostly from the outside in. So light, sound, touch, odors, activating receptors in the eyes, ears, nose, and skin, progressively being refined into a richer picture of the wider world. New, new science of predictive processing flips the traditional story on its head. Perception is now heavily shaped in, from the opposite direction as predictions formed deep in the brain reach down to alter responses all the way down to areas closer to the skin, eyes, nose, and ears, the sensory organs that take in signals from the outside world. Incoming sensory signals help correct errors in prediction, but the predictions are in the driver's seat now. This means that what we perceive today is deeply rooted in what we experienced yesterday and all the days before that. Every aspect of our daily experience comes to us filtered by hidden webs of prediction, the brain's best expectations rooted in our own past history. 
it's hard to break free. It's hard to recognize the trace of our mind in all that we perceive. But if we are to learn, if we are to cultivate insight, if we are to um, begin to free our mind, we're asked to be, uh, to surrender, to be more deeply receptive. Because um, thinking and wanting are not really separable. Researchers said, like, all thinking is wishful thinking. Yeah. Meaning, their motivations suffuse our thinking, our knowing. Our attempts to be mindful, just, oh, okay, just be mindful. But our attempts to be mindful are suffused by our motivations. Our mind, the, the, the pushes and pulls of our mind uh, infuses the view, the mindfulness. Our mindfulness is in, is suffused by our motivations. And so to be able to see in a new way, not to see yesterday, but to see something new, means we actually have to uh, surrender some of the clinging. Where our, um, where our attention goes, what we notice, what we don't notice, how we shape phenomena into things, reflects our own desire, our own motivations. And the motivation based on craving, on confirming existing views, doesn't leave room for the radical freshness of this moment. And so we surrender our knowing. We surrender the story that has been honed up until this moment and reinforced and retold and molded and remolded and reified. And sometimes there's like a, almost like a seam in our view and things just open, open. And there's an appreciation for like the utterly compounded nature, the very peculiar condition, nature of all my views and beliefs and attitudes. They're shaped by a million forces, our own past, all of the past. 
And then this seam opens. And it opens when the heart makes this gesture of surrender. And we begin to to see how um, how craving um, can can mold our world. And so, what 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 do you look like? What does the world look like when the knowing is less and less? suffused by craving, by all the hands on all the knobs. We, we start to, to surrender, and that doesn't mean that what was red is now green, but... Um, we are lowered out of the gridlock of our personal world. It's not that all the kind of loose ends of being human or the predicament of any life gets gets fully resolved, but there is a kind of spaciousness in, around, everything. And a kind of claustrophobia that characterizes self and suffering. Just opens. And we, you could say, we come to our power. Power. And we come to it through surrender. And then we're ready to live and uh, also ready to die. Sit for a moment.
Thank you for your uh, your attention and um, you know if if each of you were sitting like one at a time in front of me, there's no way I would have given that same talk to all of you. So it's your job to sort out what you should listen to. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.